Oh, yeah. And we are live. <laughs> a political right. reactionary meets the red pill as Nick Fuentes joins Fresh and Fit. The Manosphere meets populism as Andrew Tate joins Tucker Carlson. How did this happen? What's going on now? What comes next? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Civil Offense. My name is Ahmed Top G Mali. And today we're talking about the red pill, the manosphere, the reactionaries, the populists, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Not only that, I have let a furry back on my show. Howdy. <laughs> I'm here with Esso, the esoteric entity, as he's okay with being called again, as he said on my last show. Uh, how are you doing, Esso? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, although I'm uh, 13 to 14 hours into a day that I only uh, managed to get six hours of sleep, uh, you know, the, the night before. So pardon if uh, my economy of language tonight's not very great. We got Ignis in here, not in the actual live stream, but in the chat. He said gay response. Well, it's not inaccurate. <laughs> Be be crime, do gay. Okay. Well, we've also got the uh, the the plumber known as Ancat. How are you doing, Ancat? <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm doing great. Um. Not really much more to say. I mean, I I got a good night's sleep and uh, I'm feeling pretty active. So I'll be I up for a got while. Six hours of sleep, and uh, I've been up since seven. So that's nice. Well, seven thirty actually. I'll be fair. Dang. Um. So we're, we're all good over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I called you the plumber, obviously, because you lay so much pipe, bro. I mean, it, it's obvious. Just check out the Discord server. Actually, we have a few <laughs> announcements here. Make sure you go to amedmali.com and sign up for my email list to get the latest updates. Actually, you know, really, in reality, the Discord server actually has the latest, latest updates, just like the election. The next one coming up in 2024 is the most important election of our lifetimes for real this time. Uh, so, you know, just as important, make sure you go down in the description, check that out, and check out Civil Offense on Rumble. Yes, we are streaming live on there amazon apple podcast spotify and google podcast i upload the podcast after we're done uh and shout out to p beaver who donated on rumble last time uh, i didn't shout you out because I, I did not see the the rumble chat i guess they don't uh broadcast that on the stream yard thing but you know nevertheless you know thank you for that uh let's see what we got going on in chat uh artemis uh, this stream is sponsored by the church of the subgenius Praise Bob. Yes. Okay, Bob. Uh what's up, Jason? All right. So to get into today's topic, don't uh, just we uh, I was going to say on the topic of Church of the Subgenius, don't just eat your cheeseburger, eat the hell out of it. So excited to boot. Oh, yeah, exactly. I am as well. I That's the first thing I'm going to do as soon as I can because I'm a proud citizen. Uh, so, you know, the moder uh, the po polarization, sorry, of modern political discourse is our topic today. And we're talking about the right uh, and how the narrative was basically that the left is going to the extreme. Uh, and, you know, conservatives would react to this and say, look at the radical left and what they're doing. Uh, but, you know, now we're kind of seeing that a bit inversed with what's going on today. So we kind of want to talk about that. Uh, first of all, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this, you know, as, as a general statement, just kind of what you guys think about this and also maybe figure out how political ideologies emerge in the first place. Well, well, I just think it's funny how, like, um, like, haven't we already seen this before with, um, with, uh, fucking like Bush and, um, and the, uh, and the reactionaries against him during 9-11. And then we sort of saw the, like, it, it's always the, um, it's always the um the, the the crazy side who's who's completely unhinged and then you have the um the uh the, the sudden voice of reason to be thrust into power and I think it's just kind of convenient that like they 
like the the name switch but again the overarching like theme of elections pretty much stay the same like yeah, no I mean, matter who you're talking about they change the demographics slightly in terms of how they're presented aesthetically and give them a different name but yeah they're essentially in pretty much every state there's more or less two demographics carved out by the state for every um every election cycle or every time the people actually running the government changes like depending on like the pretext that that government operates around for how its political economy coordinates and the essentially how they're divided up is people that are essentially invested in the state and are invested in the property norms that are at present being defended by that particular state and the controlled opposition demographic that's designed to signal to people that don't have any investment in like don't perceive themselves at least to have any investment in the state enforcing those property claims because their relationship to the state is always just uh, it controlling what they can and can't do from their perspective. No, it's not, not, they're not benefiting in any conceivable sense. Whereas um, in like the former case, mostly made up of people that uh, are boomers at this point, but in previous generations would have been people that had college degrees, had houses, uh, were the head of a household and had to navigate through politi uh, political institutions quite a bit just to maintain their lifestyle, maybe benefited from welfare or uh, benefited from some wage position that they've had for years that is essentially what's upholding their lifestyle at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think you framed it um like before i think we've because we've talked about this too i think you've like framed it as sort of the um like the dichotomy between the the illusion and the disillusion so like the boomer types who um like currently benefit from the state's property norms um that's sort of one big demographic and then the other demographic tends to be the like tends to be a bit younger generation but like tends to be the people who are, you know, quote-unquote disillusioned with, quote-unquote, the system, but, you know, they, they have several avenues that can be led back to, like, politically safe conclusions. Well, and that's fundamentally what is, oh, can I, can I be heard? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, there is a fundamental difference between the current sort of socio-political climate and really any point that's existed at least in uh u.s history prior though and that difference is well that that difference is that the only people who have any sort of investment in what the state's doing at this point because of the current circumstances that the political economy finds itself in you know a state of total collapse and anything that would have been you know anything that would have been something that would give someone a reason to be invested in the political economy just doesn't exist anymore there's no leverage that is actually well the the leverage that's being exerted over people is increasingly flimsy because of new technique and on top of that 
more people are starting to just identify it as power being exerted over them because of the way the media distribution has changed um, and people can actually coordinate in at least quasi distributed networks within platforms like discord so it's narrative control is it's still present it's just narrative control takes place in the form of how out, uh, content is curated to people through proprietary algorithms and that's also incredibly convenient for the propagandists because it becomes increasingly difficult just by looking at an article alone to identify a narrative that's being crafted because it's because it's the algorithm that's cra that's crafting the narrative and so I actually wanted to say. point uh, over to the left-right dichotomy, kind of how you were talking about that, uh, you know, these two groups are often pinned against each other, whatever they really are, whatever they're really labeled, um, you know, and you kind of talk about how, like, this is sort of manufactured in the sense. So, like, I was kind of wondering what the evidence for, like, the left-right dichotomy being a creation of the state uh, is, but I, I suppose you actually point to that with this. Well, more so what I would uh, what I would go on to note is that the difference ultimately doesn't like the, the difference ultimately doesn't matter because in uh, what we established in like the last stream, uh, politics is an end in function. It's really just a matter of what exactly um, how exactly the state can message to people that happen to be either disillusioned or see themselves as being invested in the state at that particular moment to keep them invested. And that's the reason why with the current demographic trends, um, the uh, things like UBI are being signaled to both the right and the left, mm. or the increasingly like not being skeptical of the state and there being a need for hierarchical centralized organization being uh, just a bedrock of society that's unchallenged is something that is both endorsed by the, the demographics that describe themselves as leftists or rightists, despite, you know, what they claim, you know, to the contrary, Marxists, for example, uh, endorsing on authority by angles and vanguardism <laughs> regardless of their regardless of their pretext for doing so that's essentially just that is essentially just the leftist equivalent of mold bug fans citing the concept of natural aristocracy so i actually have yeah. a, a tweet that talks a little bit about the whole uh you know uh, UBI thing. And so this is actually Chris Freeman and he calls himself a libertarian. If you look at his Twitter bio, he calls himself that Bruh. But you see here, you have this meme right here where it says every socialist objection to capitalism, which is what he's defending. And UBI is basically that thing that makes it, Oh, you know, now it's obviously necessary for capitalism to be a thing. Cause look at how it can be, uh, you know, protected from abusing workers and all that. If we just give them UBI and this is such an economically sound thing, right? That uh, yes, the original impetus for states creating welfare statism. In order don't talk to, about basically. I'm oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? I, I was just gonna say, don't study the state. Don't talk about ethics. Only debate policy. Right. It is just it's just that meme that I posted in the Discord where it's like the um, 
the uh, the the monarch king Leviathan controlling the two parroting puppets, basically, <laughs> uh, with with the libertarian infighting headline. But yeah, that is the uh, original inception of the welfare state uh, as we understand it, which is as a way of keeping people that can't be wages uh, enfranchised with the state's political economy. I mean, that should really show you how desperate that this like the state in function actually is to the point where they're throwing their intel their own intelligence agencies under the bus or uh you know they're literally just saying hey don't don't become a radical we'll give you free money ignis is claiming that you're talking at 0.75 speed he's had a long day yeah Come on. Okay, so I actually wanted to uh, mention, like, kind of just bring up what the impact of this discourse will be societally. Um, but before we kind of go into that, I actually wanted to also mention, because you talked about what we were addressing on our last show that we did. Um, one thing is that you, you've talked about polis, uh, the notion that uh, political norms are informed by social organization, but you're saying libertarianism basically refutes this. And I actually thought that was a really interesting point. And uh, when we're talking about neo-reactionaries, which uh, like I've actually been looking a lot into that myself, uh, we could pretty much dismiss almost everything. Well, I mean, everything pretty much they say uh, that's about politics by just looking at this and saying, okay, well, they say we have a misunderstanding of power, but they're literally the ones with the misunderstanding of power because they just accept the state's framework. Or at the very least, they have a conception of power that internally they don't have any ability to justify because of the fact that their claims about how it's expressed are just based on these a priori axioms that don't really reflect the way that people are actually acting. And if you're making claims about a concept which entails the nature of action, it's kind of important that you have a fleshed out methodology for what that even is. Yeah, the um the the popularization of the concept of polis, well it's always existed as long as states have, but like it 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 sort of became popular among uh, in ancient Greek and the term polis originated from um what they called uh basically it was the Greek term for a uh, city or or sorry, it it, it was um yeah, it it meant city. And the term, and that's actually how the term politics, or what they call the politic, um, emerged from. Basically, conf um, the 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 combination of the word. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what the actual word for citizen was in Greek, but basically, it was the combination between the word citizen and city, and what um, and what the word polis was when they meant city was essentially the the combination of the actual like the the town in in ancient greece so like the like the buildings like what we would commonly think of as a city and the state so they use the word polis interchangeably and that's how you get the um conflation between uh society and states well yeah there is the, the, never... the greeks the greeks use that word inter to refer to them interchangeably and even before, well, it's not something that originated with Greece. Uh, every state that has ever existed um, has had that as one component of its propaganda model, either the conflation of society in the state or the 
and the state or the characterization of the state as being the thing that defines a society's norms because homogenous norms are just inherent to a society. So Artemis says you misunderstand power. They say while never having read Foucault. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's different writers. There's different writers who've tried to articulate, um, a theory of power it's mm-hmm. just his that's i'd say the most fleshed out out of people that refer to their claims as theories of power directly could you actually summarize foucault's theory of power because i'm sure there are plenty of people that w- that are watching this that don't know about that well i did in the uh previous stream essentially that as far as how norms develop in any particular societies, uh, the defining characteristic of how those norms will be expressed in that particular group will be just dependent on power relations between the people in that particular society. So their ability to act, what technique is available to them, what resources are available, social um, social dynamics created by this, and uh, yeah, and so on. All right. Any thoughts, Ancap? I mean, think of it like as a web rather than mm. um, he. Well, he wanted to dispel sort of the like traditional notion that like power is this sort of top down thing. Um, like, oh, it's this, it's this one guy, which is traditionally how to like libertarians tend to think of power relations as, you know, so for, for Marxists, it would be like the capitalist bourgeois owning the like proletariat. And for like a lot of libertarians, it would be like, you know, the state dominating the subjects, which, which is true, which like Foucault didn't like deny, but he just thought that, um, that analysis of power was was lacking um and he thought it was lacking because it doesn't um it it essentially didn't or um like it 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 was it was far too narrow for the actual like um relations of power that exist in like everyone's daily lives so if you think about like um so so like I i guess a really good example of this would be like think about um I mean, to give like a really trivial example, like think about when you're at a party, for instance, and uh, ev- and you want to like play a song that you like, but everyone in the but you know that if you play that song that you like, um, you know everyone in the crowd is going to laugh at you or they're gonna they're gonna think that you're a nerd or whatever, um, you know, like no one's no one's holding a like there isn't a property relation there, there isn't a gun, you know, pressed right up against you, but but in a sense, you are, you're, you're not like, I mean, you're not like being directly coerced, but in a sense, there is a power relation there between those, those individual groups of people and yourself. No, Garen, I don't want to listen to Ice Spice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, Foucault created this theory of power because, uh, they, um, because <laughs> he was upset that people didn't want to listen to his uh his trap bangers but his his playlist uh i think Ancat is speaking from personal experience are you <laughs> um no actually i don't know i have really. a great ice spice playlist. i mean that was an like, example that was that was an example foucault gave maybe from yeah. his perspective but <laughs> let's see um 
Artemis says, I was actually in that situation at a party where I wanted to play Blind Guardian. Yeah, but it, but it's it a anyway. useful, yeah, but it's a useful concept for uh, for libertarians to adapt because t- traditionally we think that like um, like like we want to point to like a formal conspiracy, for instance, when we talk about like a, a really good example of this would be um, like teacher student relationships. So let's say you're you know all I think every libertarian here has probably had the experience where uh, they're in their economics class or they're in um, you know they're in one of their uh, uh, government and politics classes and there's and they and they just remember their teacher saying something completely like propagandistic and retarded well a lot of libertarians tend to think okay well they said this thing so we need to point to like some formal conspiracy or some formal like uh decree by the government like wh- wh- where where was the curriculum that forced the teacher to say all these things um when when i think what a lot of people don't realize is that those relationships of propaganda can exist even though there's not an actual formal like decree marching order from the state at all and um and it's because specifically um like teachers saying these uh you know controversial and problematic things can emerge from other relationships so for instance like the teacher could say that thing that you know is really stupid because they heard it because it, it wouldn't even need to be required on the like uh on the school curriculum they could have heard they could have heard that repeated from you know when they were a kid or they could have right. heard that repeated when um they themselves uh saw something on them on this on the uh the media for instance or they heard it from their family they heard it from their friends i mean they themselves were also products of indoctrination so yeah. I feel like it's problematic for a lot of libertarians to like, you know, if they see that relationship between the teacher and the student, they like need to point to a formal conspiracy when all you need to do in order to point to why that relationship exists is the theory of power. Is yeah. to understand how norms present in that part in this particular society, what's causing them to be expressed the way that they are. And everything mm-hmm. else is just a reflection of that. Yeah, I actually so, yeah. want to break in here and, uh, uh, you know, Ancat, I want to discuss kind of like, uh, well, I'm not going to assume you're familiar, you know, just off the bat, but uh, do you know the advertising term earned media? Uh, I'm not familiar, no. So earned media is like when uh, an advertiser makes like, let's say M&M's has this billboard where there's like this giant M&M coming out of it. And then people start taking pictures of that and posting it on their social media. That's earned media because they're not paying for the person to put it on their own social media, but the person's happening to do it anyway and it's promoting M&M's. So basically with that, I- I'm kind of thinking here, like this is almost the state's version of that. And I've actually seen like, I- I- I'm mentioned you in one of my discord servers because of this where somebody was putting in like the what is it like four kids tune whatever uh i forgot what the channel name was but like it's like four kids right and they have them sending singing like the national anthem for fourth of july uh somebody posted that in my server i don't remember exactly who it was but uh basically i i mentioned you saying this is like the state's earned media because the state probably didn't pay for that. I mean, I'm assuming it didn't, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but let's say it didn't, right? Uh, this is literally just like a set of animators and people and producers and whatever that put together this 4th of July message. But here it is, like, you know, a bunch of characters singing, like, um, not. I don't know if it's the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it's the National Anthem. It was the National uh, Anthem. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. But point being, like, basically, they're spreading patriotic messaging by doing that. Yeah, like, 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 
you can you can be a parrot for propaganda or like be subject to propaganda like without seeing a single state mandated media or be indoctrinated in a classroom for mm. instance well and like this think is... about oh, like sorry. like power like yeah that and that was just what i was going to say is that like power relations like can and will like always exist even even without the state and that's well, I think what a see, lot of libertarians. Let's read yeah, chat real quick. Uh, JC Armitage says that sounds like uh, somewhat like word of mouth. Yeah, basically, I mean that's like how it spreads. Um, don't state education teachers have a specific curriculum they are required by state to teach throughout the school year? I mean, to that I'd say yeah. like, like I mean to Ancat's point, like not every single thing is like state mandated that they're saying. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff, but at the same time, there's stuff that they're saying that they just believe inherently. Well, and yeah, my, my point. Yeah, just just real quick. Just my like my point is that you don't even need to point like you don't like yes, there that is that is true. They do have curriculums, but like you don't need to point to that formal conspiracy or that formal conspiracy that doesn't need to exist in order for those same propagandistic narratives that would that would mirror the exact curriculum. Like I, I, even if the state curriculum like didn't exist i think that a lot of those same like the same curriculum likely would still exist just mm. because the teachers uh crafting it quote unquote independently um you know would, would still be parroting those narratives and i think it's really dangerous for a lot of libertarians to think that those can only exist through that curriculum because they think oh well if the state isn't involved if the state uh isn't decreeing a uh, an education like a formal curriculum then oh i guess it's not it's not propaganda you right. know it's not government propaganda well yeah and another problem is if you try to apply that reason if you try to apply that reasoning consistently to um just colloquial experiences that every person would have uh, anybody who's a libertarian and is aware of politicization, if they have a, a friend or a family member, almost certainly you have a family member who isn't, who is politicized still, if not a libertarian, doesn't really understand the nature of the state's propaganda model, so they just interpret it as a norm to navigate around. But... Um, yeah, almost certainly you've had some sort of conversation with them and, you know, they you, you've broached upon a subject that they perceive themselves having emotional investment in because they see the state as something that defends it existing at all because of, the, you know, that fundamental feature of polis being inherent to the state's narrative about itself or simply just the fact that like challenging this like well i kind of just you know stated that but challenging the state at all because of the rules that gamify their understanding about the nature of societies it causes them to become emotionally compromised because of how many things uh have a sort of trend um a sort of a relationship to that concept within a narrative where this is the rule setting the narrative but anyway, um, you know, your family members will go into cognitive dissonance if you bring up certain lines of questioning. Your friends will. I mean, they're not government agents, and you don't, don't want to follow that reasoning because, uh, yeah, that, you know, schizophrenia follows naturally from there. Plus, Did you, you see that Andrew Tate tweet where he tweeted out that little anime girl and it was like, you know, every woman's an agent of the state, like, don't trust her? Yeah, okay, CIA parents. 
All right, but to get into the meat of the episode, because I did mention Andrew Tate, but you know, first of all, I was going to start by talking about Nick Fuentes here, our you know favorite uh, you know libertarian over here, and uh, basically, <laughs> it, it all started. It all started when he started. Yeah, it all started when he joined Kanye. Yay for his twenty twenty four campaign. Really, this is when it like you know started being really mainstream. Like when he got like mentioned on late night TV and all that. Nick Fuentes, I'm talking about, uh, and it really brought. Well, uh, you know, we don't want to mention specific uh, terms on here to get you know flagged or whatever. But the JQ, as it's called, uh, if you don't know what that is, just look it up on Urban Dictionary. Uh, but you know, it's brought back to mainstream discourse, and this was at the time uh, something that I was also or basically tying to the Buffalo shooter. Because at the time, uh, the white replacement was also this thing that was uh, a topic of discussion in which, you know, basically it's brought to mainstream discourse. And I was actually going to bring up a Michael Malice tweet where he talks about this to kind of get you guys' thoughts on this. This was like a little bit of an older one. This is from the time that it was happening, which was 2022, I believe. Um, but here it is. So let me just put that on screen. Okay. So he says that the ongoing discussion about replacement theory, uh, he means white replacement theory, marks a big and growing shift in political discourse. Namely, idea, uh, instead of the conversation being about hard left issues to fund the police abortion at nine months trans kids, it's now the left reacting to ideas coming from the hard right. I mean, I think the like the reaction dichotomy, I think that seems like it's going to continue at least until uh biden gets kicked out of office so i don't i don't think i would really mark that as like a shift i think it's kicked i think out, it's more say. i think huh kicked out you say well yeah i mean i guess voted in you could say or however you think elections work <laughs> nick fuentes cat boy enthusiast yeah I, I don't know how how exactly the election cycle is going to play out but like you can already see that uh biden like they're setting up this this show where Biden's going to be ousted and he's been set up as the most obvious fall guy that has uh, ever existed in the history of politics. I mean, he's so he's so far gone that there are several like instances of him at White House press corps uh, events where he's asked he's asked questions even by the curated journalists that are allowed to go there and he'll reply to their questions with things like, Oh, they, they tell me I'm not supposed to answer that. Or oh, they say that I should skip that one. So I mean, do you guys, I was going to say, do you guys think like the idea of an Overton window, because we're talking about, uh, you know, the whole thing where like, um, the narrative is being shifted one way and, you know, we're, we're, kind of talking about discourse here politically do you think the overton window is kind of tied to this idea of polis that like oh basically like because there's this overton window in which the discussion is being had that like oh this must affect politics like like and by that i mean like policy well that that only really happens that clash between the two demographics it only really happens when the state is trying to distract people from uh something that would call it doing something that would otherwise cause a lot of people to become disillusioned or in this case uh the entire system collapsing like them, okay. them becoming aware of the fact that the entire system's collapsing around them um but yeah, something that you noticed essentially from like the boomer generation up until like the early 2000s was 
there being like the underlying subtext in all of the narratives promoted in the state's propaganda model because more people were invested in like in the system that it's created with its political economy that um it, that both of them should be focusing on defending what's been established by the US government and what they're presenting is mm. defending is the best way to expand upon it and any, anybody that uh was against that the republican or democrat party uh in that case was you know was marginalized but that's changed because so many people are essentially in the position where they have absolutely nothing to lose that the state's more concerned with control with um the state is more control concerned with engaging in constant psychological operations so that they uh never actually never actually question their internal rules through which they understand society and therefore can't come to any conflicting conclusions other than the Socratic understanding of Paulus. And that's, and you know, not if, if any of you want to say something really quick before I, think I go this, on, this got like, I don't see this in my actual YouTube chat, but DeLorean says that Biden's son attended celebrity orgies at a sex party club for the wealthy and famous. Oh, <laughs> And there's actual videos off of that were leaked off of his, uh, you know, off of his computer of mm. like cheese pizza content. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Well, I just like I don't know why I don't see that in my actual YouTube chat, but I guess it got flagged. Uh, well, like I'm able to pull it up in the actual stream thing, but uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't it awful? Isn't it awful that in the fir that for the first time in human history, uh, a politician has um has uh, basically allowed their uh, their friends and family and relatives to get away with almost anything. <laughs> Surprised he hasn't done it already. It's so awful that the, the Biden crime family. JC says, says surprised he hasn't been ousted already mate like in refer reference to Biden maybe he's still useful to the state till the end of 2024 I mean yeah he probably wouldn't be in there if that wasn't the case so so my 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 theory is essentially that like I think that it's not really like a dichotomy between like two narratives I think it's more just um basically I think what's happening and you're seeing this like within the last I think basically since 2016 um or 2015 since Trump got elected that I think so many people and demographics are becoming disillusioned with the state and with the government that they're essentially like pu essentially pushing, pushing out, pushing. um, pushing. Yeah. Um, like pushing out almost as many of the, of this, um, as many anti-establishment narratives as they can. Um, yeah. So you so you saw, but basically, but just marketed towards you know as as we've talked about before, like different demographics. So, like we saw this most evidently, like with the with the initial Trump campaign. Um, I think like especially in the aftermath of like the the Iraq War and like you know being disillusioned with quote unquote like both parties, you know, with um with like Obama and Bush, you know, continuing the same like Middle Eastern policies, and then of course like for for a lot of the left wing. Um, like 
a, a lot of the like disillusioned people on the left, I think you sort of had this like Bernie Sanders figure, um, you know, like opposing the establishment, you know, Hillary or whatever. Um, so, you know, you <laughs> saw both Bernie. Yeah, I mean, but like really, I mean, you saw like both Bernie and Trump like being sort of parroted, like parroting well, basically the exact same narratives, but like, you know, being pushed as anti-establishment. And now I think like now that it's 2023 and that like things have really just heightened so much and like people are so disillusioned i think like at every turn you're seeing like every month or two you're seeing a brand new like um anti-establishment figure like we've seen like five or six all get propped up simultaneously like in this last year alone like we saw it with uh with not only Trump like being kind of reframed as the anti-establishment figure, but also like RFK, and then also uh, like Andrew Tate, and also t- like Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk, and you know like like everyone basically. Well, yeah. and to clarify, if I were characterizing these as con- competing narratives, then I misspoke because it would be more accurate to describe them as the same narrative being curated to different groups of people yeah, and, yeah. Uh, make yeah, sure to watch the, the same we did on that it's <laughs> we the actually same talked narrative. about the campaigns for 2024 it's the same narrative because they op because all of them operate around the exact same rules for how people that have bought into them understand society's relationship to the state and regardless of what ideological pretexts they have they all conclude with the exact same uh with the exact same thing essentially and you brought this up uh, with the uh the whole what was it it wasn't student loans it was the other thing affirmative action uh you put up a tweet in my server about somebody saying that like uh, the some lady like his aunt or something said that like oh well how are black people going to make it now that affirmative action isn't a thing? <laughs> I'm for real. <laughs> no, I I know it is. It's just funny. I I I saw that too, and yeah, that's a pretty good example. What do you mean it. you saw it too? You were the one that posted yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you like, it onto me. You're like, like oh, you you were the one that posted that. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't know if I was the one that posted it in your server. Yeah. I saw it, somebody else posted it in the back alley, and that's where okay. I initially saw it. I, I don't use Twitter, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's, the, that's the most example. blatant example of recent politics. Or um, after the Supreme Court hearing ruled against uh, ruled against Roe v. Wade, that mm. uh, legendary tweet from you know the white liberal woman who had a white liberal moment that i can't even repeat on stream <laughs> but i think you know which one i'm talking oh yeah, about. yeah 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 yeah. i remember and yeah you know what's like funny about that too is that like um i was i was watching the um like th- this one video and it was i think i sent it to both of you guys but it was like left it was just called leftist twitter like welcome to leftist twitter and it was just a bunch of like reactionary takes from like marxists and mls and like maoists and shit and like there were quite a few that were literally like really hardcore like anti-semitic and like (laughs) and like really racist against black people like like who was lecturing the blacks you know and i just thought it kind of goes back to like yeah no like that was literally one of the um one of the things and i just thought it was really funny how like um like reactionary politics on both the quote-unquote left and right 
ultimately lead to the exact same conclusions. And you see this with the classic example of like Marx, like Marx, Leninism and fascism. Um, but like, you're also seeing this too, with a lot of the reactionary, like Hoppian, like ANCAP, like the more reactionary, you know, Hoppians where, um, like the, uh, the LP for instance, um, uh, I, 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 I promoted this in like my other video, that my life, my like short ANCAP Twitter video, but it was literally the LP doing the, um, and, and this, this kind of blew up on Twitter, but the LP, you know, going forward with genocide denial, when you see these exact same narratives being promoted by li like, like literal tankies, you know? So, so it, says, it just, was it that just the concludes. white liberal femoid moment? Did you use a gamer <laughs> word or something? Um, close like close no i was the the tweet of i'm not gonna actually say it but i the know tweet, you can uh, <laughs> yeah the tweet um referring to clarence thomas uh doesn't the hard r in all caps know that they're coming for him next <laughs> oh i well, thought i mean I, technically I, okay i i i swear i saw another tweet that was sort of similar and like called him like a like a house n-word <laughs> because he because of his vote in Roe v. Wade. He's in the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wouldn't but like but wouldn't wouldn't I mean even the like I don't know wouldn't 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 his vote be more symbolic uh, towards being um you know pro black people considering the amount of black babies aborted every single year. <laughs> Well, the state's just trying to get more people to have babies because they're experiencing a version of the shrinking markets problem because of how many. Um, yes. Look, if the state wants more babies, why aren't they mandating girlfriends? <laughs> Where's my mandated e-girl? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty pro <laughs> that's a pretty prominent talking point that you're seeing in ma in modern mainstream political narratives. So, and it's not it's not necessarily unfounded either just the fact that there aren't as many people having kids. It's just um yeah, no nobody actually, of course, all of the specific talking heads that bring it up are studiously avoiding the obvious which is the fact that the reason that this trend is emerging is because nobody wants to have kids when they can barely afford to feed themselves in the current political economy. Wait, is this no, true? Just... Is this true? <laughs> Clarence Thomas is the token black guy on the Supreme Court. Most of them are Jewish? Hey, yo. I'm not exactly hey, sure yo. off the top of my head. but hey, yeah, Most of them are Jewish, huh? That's a little, that's a little oh, weird. Oh. It's a little sus. Oh. What were you, anyway, so you going to say? Uh, no, I was just gonna say no, no. But like Esso, that's that that can't be the reason why the uh, that, that's not the reason why the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. It's just because uh, it's it's because uh, Clarence Thomas was a house N word. You just don't get it. <laughs> More than he, 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 no, he, he's a he's a it's no it's 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 because he's a race traitor. That's why he, he ain't black. The fox, I, the fox is getting onto something here. I don't know. But yeah, the reason know. that. Um, but yeah, the reason that um, all of these, politi these political ideologies, it invariably 
just come to the same racist conclusion about different ethnicities is because within political ideology taken to its logical conclusion, everything has to be categorized within the context of demographics in order to understand because that's what the the Socratic concept of polis fundamentally implies. Um, it is that there's just, well, if everybody, if norms emerge because the state is representing people, then that means that there is an interest that represents everyone uh, based on specific demographic characteristics. So something like, you know, so something like fascism or intersectional politics is just like, it is just the final boss of this narrative. It's just the final version of it incarnated. Um, you'll get, so you have to have messaging that's directed at black people because the blacks are a political demographic and there's no way to have any conception of ethnicity that would characterize its relationship to society uh, as such, which isn't going to invariably be extremely racist because it creates a zero, because it creates the impression of a zero sum dynamic between people based on ethnicity. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the same narrative, you can look at like any, any ideology that's like prominent, whether that be like fascism, Marxism, like just i don't know or or even just demographic promoted by a um by the state or state media uh like th three main things firstly uh the state um the the problem with the state isn't the state itself it's corrupting influence that's taking it over uh secondly um you, in order to have your interests met you need to vote you need to engage in uh politics and thirdly um, politics uh, actually so 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 the, so the state simultaneously represents your interests and doesn't because um, in order because essentially in order for you know voting to emerge as being a valid means uh, that would need to imply that the state actually does represent your interests because you can actually elect representatives and ideology is one of the defining factors that causes the state to uh, to uh, decree its policies so. Yeah, basically, the basically, uh, the state's ideological, um, the anything wrong with the state is a corrupting influence outside the state. And third, you need to vote. Vote. <laughs> so the fox, or wait, that's the wrong one. Uh, the fox says, racism is a personal choice, even if it is distasteful. Who has the right to force others to uh, think in any other way than they choose to? Well, I'm not saying that anybody should be forced to think in any particular way. It's just that racism, cre uh, because of what it implies about the nature of agency, contradicts libertarianism as a methodology and prevents one from being able to study the nature of society um, in, in a way that accurately reflects the nature of how it emerges. Yeah, and I mean, you said racist. this on the last... I just think that I, I'm not racist. I just think that black people have inherently low time preferences. <laughs> I mean, and anyway, that's... but 
the point being, uh, on the last room, you said like basically we don't win when everybody accepts the nap. We win when a cop shows up and everybody brings out a gun to you know get him away or do whatever. You know, I'm not going to say that on here about cops. But point being, basically, like in a libertarian or stateless society, it's not about everybody accepting that uh, racism is a foul thing and therefore that's how we achieve liberty. It's just that the state is gone and it can't reform. It's just when you're studying the nature of society, you have to, you know, it, it's good to understand that that's an abstraction because mm -hmm. if you don't, you start to, you know, that it being a concept fundamentally implies that norms in behavior are established by something outside of agency, which runs into a whole bunch of issues with, uh, you know, understanding the way that certain uh, social dynamics in uh, have a relationship with norms that characterize societies. Basically, it prevents you from looking at societies in any other way than one that's gamified uh, inherently in a way where it assumes that something like polis is valid. Because if racism is the land, if you're looking at the difference between ethnicities from a racist lens where there's just behaviors that inherently gamify how people defined by their ethnicity act. And that's just based on some inherent characteristic of their ethnicity. Then it means some, then it means essentially that uh, you can like that political demographics would it, something approximating political demographics emerge organically out of societies now and i'm not yeah. just i'm not so objecting, real quick. And, and i'm not objecting to that because of its implications i mean i have basis for objecting to it based on the nature of information and agency which you know i kind of touched upon in the last in the last stream in greater detail but um yeah i'm just noting that uh from a libertarian perspective there is uh you know reason to be skeptical of it okay real quick uh, a couple chats here uh tldl identitarianism is an uh, inevitability with the existence of a political class regardless of how said political class brands itself uh and then yeah, the Fox exactly. says, apparently the rollout of the digital dollar is being accelerated any comment on this I mean, yeah, it certainly is, but uh, I think that that system is going to crash and burn before it even gets off the ground because their plan seems to be trying to vertically into trying to vertically integrate the already existing uh, proprietary net uh, internet infrastructure into the the uh, new financial institutions that the state's trying to defend so that you know and that'll be the pressure for using this fiat currency as the new medium of exchange the problem though is that that pressure that's going to be like moving that they assume will be there that moves people into uh using this currency to begin with is becoming increasingly unstable Okay. And Kat, it sounded like you had a thought real quick. Uh, I'm going to pull up some tweets right after that and we're going to discuss them. But if you wanted to go ahead, you can.
I I I completely lost my train of okay. thought. If uh, I so, remember, I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring it back. This to wouldn't you. be a civil offense stream if we didn't bring up a Josh Equal tweet. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I'm just going to go into what he's talking about right now when it comes to this, and I kind of wanted to get his perspective. You know, uh, we'll, we'll see what he has to say. So basically, Nick Fuentes was on Fresh and Fit, uh, which is a podcast within the Manosphere, has uh, millions of followers and listeners across the platforms, of, as according to this what, what this person says, and it's true. Uh, you know, so basically, he has uh, something about praising Hitler on their stream and I, I did watch that and it was it was funny but you know he you know well whatever but that being the case uh josh equal says reject this effort to shift nazism into the overton window reject any person group or platform that's helping make this happen and before we go on to uh our thoughts on this i actually wanted to present another josh equal tweet uh that came out not too long ago when desantis was actually uh putting out a it was his video during pride month and it was that one video i don't know is it deleted now uh yeah it's i don't even see it anymore but anyway oh, to wrap was up this, pride was month that, was that advertisement that yeah. like looked like it was made by a 14 year old yes it was that one that had all those <laughs> wojacks and stuff and had desantis is like the sigma base guy but anyway so point being josh equal actually tweeted out about this saying the far right has officially moved on from it's about protecting kids to it's a war on the lgbt community and this actually like you know uh you know, being in the in the place I am right now, I look at this and I say, Josh Equal. Oh, I didn't even show this one on stream. Whoops. Uh, the far <laughs> the far right officially moved on from it's about protecting kids to it's a war on the LGBT community. There we go. I showed the tweet. Um, but point being, there it's like he's collectivizing this like far right as uh, as the movement itself. Like, oh, this is what the right is doing. It's kind of like you know exactly the same thing where it's like, oh, look at the left. Look at what the left is doing. Uh, and uh, and Kat, this is actually a point you bring up quite often to me. That uh, well, you have been recently recently at least that people are grouping in like every single individual that probably shares some sort of views like loosely even and saying like oh this must be what this entire tribe of people believes and kind of putting them in this dichotomy like helping shove them into these two boxes even though you know obviously they're not like competing or anything but you get what i'm saying yeah it's the role of political demographics it's to create that impression so then in response to that people who find that objectionable they just pathologize all of of these people as being essentially just an interchangeable enemy that's working towards the same uh getting the state to do the same thing yeah and it's also so like if you can um like you you identify like other people as the enemy rather than you know the actual people who are <laughs> um you know monopolizing the uh the core infrastructure or whatever but um and and the property norms in that society but like it, but primarily it's so um you know when someone when you hear like a media out, outpost say like the left is now demanding that you cut off your balls it's, so so basically you can now um like any any family member any friend or any like person that you see calling themselves a quote-unquote leftist you can basically just project that own idea onto them and get angry at them even yeah. though they might not even have that idea. That's the most common form of subtext that is present in more mo in more modern propaganda, although it's been around really for the last couple of decades. Whenever this whenever this um in that particular media presentation Whenever the state, um, something that the state's doing is being brought up, that's always how it's characterized, the, the subtext that's present there. The left's doing this, or this group is doing this. 
literally baked into the narrative, like the assumption characterizing the narrative. It's not even possible to uh, characterize the state as anything other than a neutral influence that's being mm -hmm. directed by some group in society that yeah, doesn't I mean, have any association it, to its necessary functions. Yeah, I was, I, I'd like to bring up that I saw, uh, I rewatched it recently, actually. This was a stream that Dave Smith did with Nick Fuentes. Like, they had a debate on, you know, quote-unquote, what we uh, wouldn't actually say is libertarianism, but Dave Smith says it is. Uh, but, you know, basically, they were kind of debating on what the best way to go about it is, and Dave Smith was... Um, talking to Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is like, oh, I used to be a libertarian. I mean, more like a liberal, but he's like, oh, well, I realize like the state's actually a tool. Like we need to look at the state not as, you know, something that's just doing this. It's just because the people who are in it are bad. I mean, he's literally saying like, oh, I don't hate cops in general, but I just hate these cops right now, you know, uh, because of what they're doing to me right now. And they're not, they're giving me tickets while they're not controlling the black people uh, in Chicago. <laughs> and so yeah. basically speaking, like, you know, it, it's kind of, he's still coming to this representation of the state as something that it's like, okay, well, it's just the actors within it. And then Dave Smith replies, Oh, well, you're kind of right. It's just that we need to get, we need to get rid of it because the actors that come within it are uh, oftentimes bad people. So he kind of accepts his uh, framework of this in doing so and, and just kind of defeats his own argument. Uh, like, you know, as far as any case for libertarianism, when he starts talking like this. Yeah. It, it's literally that comment comic of the, um, like the ANCAP, the dude, the Wojak in the ANCAP shirt with uh with the comment like oh yeah most libertarians graduate to right wing when they realize the state uh yeah. big government already exists and, and the state's just a tool uh before uh, we gotta we gotta take control of it before the left uses it against us and this is that like blue-haired feminist leftist beating over the <laughs> yeah moment and that's well, and that's fundamentally the problem that in, in, that self-described libertarians have had uh, with trying to uh, make the case against the state is they buy into the exact same assumptions made about the state as pol as politicized people to a large extent, which leads them fundamentally in how they characterize societies to the exact same conclusion as politicized people. In yeah, it's actually what. I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, well, it's actually one of the early influences of Marxism in the libertarian movement because the original explanation of the state was basically, you know, the typical one that a lot of libertarians use, the like monopoly on violence arbitration definition, whereas Marxists actually shifted that definition or Marx specifically as um, the state, we define the state as a as basically a, the um, the tool that the ruling class uses to uphold its uh, relations. Basically, mm -hmm. as it's 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 a tool that the that the ruling that the ruling class uses to uh, perpetuate itself. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to read which is, which which in Marxist theory is the actual like definition of a state. It's just it's basically it's literally just a tool. <laughs> That we okay. that we have to use first before the uh, the capitalists keep using it against us. <laughs> so the fox says, I don't like the idea of compelled speech that comes from the trans identity slash gender fluidity movement. People can fantasize all they want. Civil law shouldn't force compliance with fantasy. Well, I mean, oh, that's actually. I was oh, sorry. There's a follow up real quick if you want to see. Uh, LGBTQ plus can do what they want, but it is a sexual preference, and the age of uh, 18 is the age of consent. Given that all sexual preference propaganda should be restricted to 18 plus and child groomers scrutinized. 
Well, I don't have any objection to I don't have any objection to the latter comment. I'm not even really going to touch the whole legal yeah. framework versus power relations discussion on on that because that that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But um, as far as the initial as far as the initial point there, you're speaking in terms of what what people should or shouldn't do. But the fundamental thing that you have to understand is what we've said about the nature of norms at the start of the stream, what's implied by, you know, the concept of power as, you know, as accurately described by uh, by Foucault which is that whether or not these are claims that can actually be defended are an expression of those the particular norms that are present in that society, which emerge as a result of the power relations that are present in that particular society. So if you really, if you, uh, you know, want people to not be able to force compliance with speech codes, well, undermine political norms on how property are defended. It's it's that simple. Then it's not even then it's not even possible. Yeah, and, and I was just gonna respond to um uh the Fox's comment too about the um like sort of the whole trans thing is that that's also sort of been the narrative with um like the the pointing to these groups of people x y and z because um like like i was watching this uh, i was i was i can't remember where i read this but it was some kind of like it was i think it was in a youtube comment of like a trans person basically um like working at this factory and uh with a bunch of their employees and i think she like uh one of them i because because she's a teacher i think or she, I don't know, it's, it, it's some kind of, like, student, so, you know, she could, like, teach children or whatever, and she uh, was, like, invited over to, you know, someone's house um, by one of her employees to, like, you know, go teach, you know, go teach a, a lesson to one of her kids or whatever and, like, be a tutor, and, like, the dude, and one of, like, the, and both of the parents, like, basically told her, like, if you touch my kid, you do anything, I don't, I'm not gonna trust, I'm gonna be watching you the whole time, I'm not gonna trust you with my kid, because I know, I know what you, like, you people are up to or whatever, and it was just, like, this whole idea of like you know pointing to this one demographic like trans the kids trans the kids trans the and and it creates this whole mentality where like you you're not you're not observing people on like this individual basis you're just you're just seeing oh they're they're a trans person so i'm just going to assume that they mu they mu they have to be a child molester well and that's exactly the purpose of the modern expression of um, the political narrative. It's to try to get people to distrust each other so that they don't organize in ways that are subversive to the state or that it's, so it's more difficult to do so. Yeah, and, and to clarify too, like there's nothing like obviously objectionable about like, you know, being like being against and like promoting, you know, media against the whole like trans in the kids narrative but like i feel like it's it, you got to be careful about your language in the sense that like you can't be blaming like fucking you can't just say like you know very vague slogans like they're transing the kids well who like what institutions what specific people because people are going to because if you use like vague language like that like people are going to project their own meaning and idea and think that like oh this is the part of like of just trans people as a group or you know because Basically, because most like trans people, I'm pretty sure aren't aren't cool with like you know drag queen story hour. Like a lot of them, 
they they just like want to be left alone you know well and you see that a lot that sort of dynamic play out a lot as well where there is propaganda there's controlled up propaganda being promoted by one that is that um is trying to characterize a subgroup of another demographic in a uh like as though they're they're hegemonically defined by a single set of behaviors outside of their agency and then what the uh the other political demographic turns um you know turns around and says hey you're exactly right because every single person that has this identity characteristic is represented by us Blue Shark says there is no such thing as civil law since there is no objective way to interpret legal framework. The only thing that exists is power dynamics. Yeah, basically. <laughs> All right. So I did want to point out one more thing as far as uh, right now, the left right sort of like switch that I, we were discussing before um, just to maybe show somewhat more of an example of it going on. This was also something that Michael Malice had tweeted out. I believe it was last year. He was saying one of the major cultural shifts in the last five years is the left. Oh, let me see if I can actually pull that up first. Uh, he said, uh, let's see. Yeah. One of the major cultural shifts in the last five years is the, uh, left adopting the slang of the right. Uh, so this is remember son, it's not whether you win or lose. It's whether you call the other guy a snowflake before he calls you a snowflake. And that's some New Yorker comic he points to clinton saying that you know i'm living rent free inside of donald trump's brain <laughs> and it's not a very nice place to be i can tell you that uh apparently a new hampshire voter in 2019 told biden that uh i'm assuming it's a guy i have a very severe case of what's called trump derangement syndrome maybe i should have assumed this is a woman <laughs> but uh <laughs> basically uh you know it He's basically saying slang or TDS being used to mean Trump's driving me crazy. Uh, and then like the last example he updated with it within uh, 2022, because I think he, this was a thread from like 2019. He brings it back to say a few months after Dark MAGA. Today, they're writing articles about Dark Brandon, which combines two slang terms from the right. Uh, so this trend is, as far as I know, historically unprecedented in American popular discourse and has many implications. Uh, no, you have a severe case of, uh, global brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what are the severe implications of it? I mean, it doesn't really say much. Oh, like, like, I mean, like, he, like he's, a very, he's a very big, uh, well, I'm saying malice. Like, he's, he's a very big advocate of national divorce, and he believes that the political discourse going yeah. on right now, like, being polarized is going to increase the odds of that. Uh, so I actually wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts on that specifically, uh, was. He he's like the closest like to the paleo movement that I've seen that is teetering on the edge of like yeah. being like could could be post political. I just think he you know he 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 needs to have like a conversation with with I think if he honestly just had a conversation with like one of us like I think he'd he'd be a lot more accepting because like because I can definitely tell like that he's a genuinely good hearted guy yeah. and like he, he he's. He's a smart guy for sure. He just um, has a few gray areas in his thinking, and I think he's like he's definitely trending toward you know the um, like I think he I think he I think what he I think he wants internally to like come to a post political conclusion, but I think again because of like political propaganda, he's not really able to fully get there. So I agree with you on that, and I mean just to point this out, like he 
has basically like tweeted out things like, oh, well, if you're looking to the Republican Party to save you, you're wrong. And but he also doesn't like the Libertarian Party. He's not really like a political party guy. But then he'll have like uh, uh, Republican figures on his show to discuss what their policy is and what they're going to do to, you know, save America. Um, and then, you know, like basically he's talking about national divorce as his solution to things. But then at the same time, like he, he disses politicians so much on Twitter, not just as, uh, you know, like people or individuals. He's like, you know, this, you know, these people of, of, you know, politicians are an issue. Like, it's not just that we want new people in office or like whatever. Uh, he literally, there was this guy that tweeted, like, I wish I could, you know, well, based on what some governor in some state did, uh, he wanted to hang the governor. Right. And, and say like, I wish, you know, like that guy would hang outside of the window of the new governor so that he could see what's going on in malice tweeted. It's like, you know, my anarchist brain can't get how people think like this to mean like, why would you put in a new governor afterward? So like malice gets a lot of it. Like you see the anarchist handbook with who he's putting in, in there, what quotes, what he quotes when he's talking about like anarchism. I saw a tweet from him where he said, uh, like, what's the difference between left and right anarchism, quote unquote. Like he's like, I, I'm not really getting the difference. I don't know if it was Goldman or who on the left, like quote unquote left uh, compared to whoever the right one was, but it wasn't Hoppe or anything. It was like a genuine, like, um, I don't remember which anarchist, but uh, like he seems to get it, like you said. Yeah, I mean, keep keep in mind though, like sometimes you'll see a lot of uh, like seemingly quote unquote like anti political takes, um, but it but you have to get trained to actually spot them. So, for instance, um, really good examples uh, when anytime Marxists or like LP types uh, like rail against cops or like post like a like 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 post like a video of them like giggling at like um like i don't know like a cop getting shot or whatever and then then like being edgy it's like um like keep in mind the like keep in mind the the actual subtext to what they're saying again they're not actually being critical of like the police as an institution they just want to be the ones taking the reins essentially like yeah. like with that tweet earlier of them like the lp um you know, tweet, tweeting about wanting to, uh, you know, elect elect libertarian cops, for instance. Basically, um, I, oh, yeah. Sorry, I thought you. Were I was just gonna say, like, just really quick, um, like another good example. It's it, it is really easy to like miss, but like when you hear like libertarian types or like you know people like, I don't know, I'm trying to give a good example. Um, like someone from the LP or like like Spike Cohen would be a really good example. Like of him saying, um, yeah, actually, um. You know, the real problem is uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans are both uh, colluding and working on the same side against your interests. And the real enemy is, yeah. is these politicians. Well, keep in mind, again, like the internal subtext to that is that like politics is still a means that, you know. So, so yeah, they, they have these, quote unquote, same incentives, quote unquote. But really, like it, it's it's subtext for wanting to elect um, like other politicians. And yeah, you've also yeah. seen this and, and like, like in um and just like one more thing too like you'll see this even in like like lenin's writing um like i think i think lenin's quote was like um yeah it, it's really nice that um you know the 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 or the uh the origin of the um like basically the 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 ultimate you know end of the state is um basically um you getting to choose which member of the ruling class will you know be in office every four or five years right um, but you always have to look at the subtext, you know, that is that it, that itself is not an anti-political critique. 
yeah, so I saw a tweet today. Uh, it was actually from Justice, and he was talking about how, like, basically... Wait, 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 Amen. Amen. I think I think Essa wanted to say something. Yeah, after okay. what I was going to say is that it's actually really easy to spot political subtext, although it's not at all intuitive to how most people, like, how it's presented to most people that they should approach uh, understanding political, like, political discourse basically you completely ignore the conclusion that they're claiming like the the political ideologue in question or the specific movement that they're claiming that they've reached focus only on the rules that they've established and how they're characterizing the concepts that they're referring to and by implication see where those rules lead if you follow if you follow a narrative where you're characterizing concepts in this way like what methodology would be implied by this and where does that lead and that's how you spot political propaganda yeah, yeah i was just going to mention with the spike cohen thing like because I, I mentioned the justice tweet i wasn't really going to pull it up or anything but i was just saying that like i saw this from him and it, it sparked the memory of it uh that he was saying that political forums are something that the government sets up like you know like a town hall or whatever like you know where they have like uh or where they have the ability for people to testify is basically just them setting up a safe space for you to be able to air out your griefs uh or uh, whatever it is uh basically without actually making any sort of change like uh, they just put this there somebody replied to him saying that basically like oh well i mean like look at how uh like spike cohen wants to get a bunch of people in that room and actually show them you know what their threat is to the state and i mean i replied basically with what we mentioned on on one of our other streams where it's basically like okay well if first of all if your threat to them is just getting them out of office well, I mean, you're kind of already just engaging with what the state wants you to do there, thinking that politics is legitimate. If not, if you actually make yourself seem like a credible threat, uh, then you've exposed yourself to the state and now they're going to target you. Uh, so, I mean, issue with that, obviously. I also wanted to mention with Michael Malice, like, because uh, you were mentioning some people like kind of getting it, but not exactly. Uh, they want to be the ones that run the cops or whatever. Michael Malice, he actually, ha he's like known for this quote. He's like, um, basically, there's no law so obscene that the police wouldn't enforce it up to and including the masses execution of children, I believe was the end of it. But like, that was the quote he gave. And, and so like, he understands the problem with the institutions themselves. He's somebody that uh, I think a lot more than your libertarian party shill or whatever, uh, actually is a lot closer to the conclusions. And somebody actually mentioned in here, Grambo said a malice conversation with people like Esso and Filthy would be his history in the making but that's me though and I, I agree with that uh we have a thing from blue shark saying means and ends consistency is important when looking at uh narratives people bring up yeah that's that's how exactly. Con that's how Konkin characterized what i just described but in essence that's what mean is means ends consistency is it is understanding that the end that is reached is the emergent Pro, uh, property of the means described so completely ignore the end that somebody claims they reached and simply look at the means they lay out and what that implies yeah you know what's interesting so is that like you know that like Konkin didn't like he didn't he didn't really come up with that term or like you know popularize it that oh, was yeah. actually something that like was what is just if you like look at like any like traditional like left anarchist scholar that's one of like the like the foundational tenets of like traditional libertarianism yeah, i understand that konkin didn't coin that term but in specifically how he explained it in relation to the met the austro-libertarian method and specifically in agorist class theory how you would approach the state from that perspective 
I would say that it's um I would say that his character his invoking of it is most notable. Yeah, I think he he gave it a new he gave it definitely a new meaning, I think, or at least maybe a more enhanced meaning like within the tr- within the spirit of it, but like, you know, wanting to really bake in that to I think libertarianism. Yeah, instead of it instead of it just being like a consistent part but the point yeah, so JC said uh, town hall meeting is just another form of a suggestion box, but uh, one that also paints a target on your back, much like protesting demonstrations. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What were you saying, Esso? Well, I was ultimately just going to, you know, remark about that point. No, don't ever do, don't ever do anything like uh, make wood gasifiers and distribute them to people. Just uh, <laughs> shut up and vote. Uh, yeah. I, I, e, uh, beg the state to stop doing whatever it is that, uh, you don't want them to do because fundamentally remember when we're talking about political means, that's what all political means fundamentally entail. All right. Oh, so- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna vote. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna secede. Okay, well, how are you gonna how are you gonna secede? Oh, well, we'll have to elect uh, you know secessionist candidates and cap mayors. Okay, and well, how are you gonna look, do that? Well, voting. We're gonna have to secede from the matrix. Okay, we have <laughs> on here on our on our table right here the the most Googled man at one point. Okay, uh, that you know obviously uh, you know he grew for whatever reason uh, to to prominence today. Andrew Tate. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're the biggest fan, Ancat. I mean, you sent me uh, some Andrew Tate videos. I know you're you're a huge uh, uh, Tate bro, whatever they call him. Uh, but basically, dude, I'm you like know, I'm like the I'm like the Tate worshiper, dude. I'm like the if, if he's the top G, I'm the bottom G. <laughs> there whereas, we go. <laughs> whereas I've I've admittedly only watched like I've only watched maybe a video or two of his. He's he's basically just. <laughs> Yeah, he he's basically just the fourteen the fourteen year old basement dwellers philosopher. Yeah, I'm I'm really kind of surprised that the state even went with him as like a, a propagandist in their particular. Well, see in now their we didn't even get into that. The model. We haven't even gotten into this yet. What I was going to say about that was that this is like the whole Manosphere thing is seen as a movement that grew because of a response to feminism being such a thing right now. Uh, but it seems like you would say maybe this is an a- inaccurate way of viewing it since you're saying basically yeah. he's just an agent of the state himself. Well, it would f- um, it's framed as though it is a response to the femi- to the feminist movement. But as a lot of people have already noted um, and this is sort of what this is what I've been trying to get to, I guess, for the entirety (laughs) of the stream is that propaganda. I keep referring to propaganda models. Well, I guess it's important to, you know, establish what propaganda actually is, because a lot of people think of propaganda as though it is just an information based or, or communication based concept. And the goal of a propaganda model is to get someone to be a proponent of a particular belief system. Well, that's not exactly that's not exactly accurate because if you look at the conclusions that people who in who find themselves victims of propaganda models 
um, come to, even though, you know, if, if we were to try to characterize them as being ideological in nature, well, then you would have to explain how the propaganda model causes everyone to come to the exact same, fund like, fundamentally the exact same understanding of the practical concerns that the ideology is is a response to when based on what you know what i invoked in the last stream about um information problems that were pointed out by wittgenstein that should be impossible because one's internal narrative um one's internal narrative of any given concept is what even contextualizes what it means to them because that's how they understand you know how somebody understands the nature of a concept isn't necessarily connected to the meaning that they'll ascribe to it so if everyone describes the exact same meaning to a particular concept or associates it with the same practical concern, it means that there's some sort of it means that there's some sort of environmental pressure that's causing that because you have to factor in something independent of their perception. And so what this kind of implies about propaganda is that it's a sociological phenomenon, essentially. And what I mean by that is it's in part information based, but there needs to be a very real pressure created in the environment that emerges organically out of how norms in that particular society are expressed that make it so a particular narrative that's being furthered by a propaganda model um, effectively works as propaganda because otherwise there isn't any coherent narrative created by just a single ideology or ideological slogans being promoted in mass. But even if people did internalize those slogans, they would all, they would all come to different conclusions about how it applies to their own lives, independent of those pressures gamifying um, how they see their own internal, like internally what motivates them to act. You're getting some stuff from Ignis over here. He's saying, imagine respecting the person who imagines respecting the person who imagines respecting the person who imagines respecting them. <laughs> Damn. All right. Well, okay. I'm going to look at some chats real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, so people like Sneeko Tate and everything bad about the red pilled manosphere and feminist activists are part of the control op movement. Thoughts? Well, I mean, that's essentially, yeah, we... well, that's essentially the point that I was getting at, but what I was, the reason that I was explaining what a propaganda model is, is because when you understand what you know, if you when you understand what a propaganda model is, it's really easy to understand the appeal of someone like Andrew Tate. It's just there's a bunch of dis. It's essentially anybody who is uh, male in the age demographic of 25 or under only really has like the political economy as it exists as a frame of reference for understanding the world that they're navigating through. So there's a real self, there's a real self-worth problem that a lot of people have. And Andrew Tate being one of the propagandists that the state promotes is 
a very obvious example of how propaganda is more like as far as the information side of it is curated towards demographics of people rather than something that's trying to like sell a belief system because the perp the goal of propaganda is not it, the goal of propaganda fundamentally is to control the rules that some that um someone uses to understand their perception of reality with so that it's not possible to come to any conclusions like essentially the conclusions that someone who's been propagandized come to organically aligns with the interests of the propagandist yeah, and I was going to point out just with uh, like tea in general, I think this would actually be a really perfect like um, ex basically I think it would be a perfect example of the idea of propaganda and propaganda systems emerging without some sort of like state or government decree um, like directly. Um, because I think like I think what happened honestly with Tate, I don't think that he was like you know like a literal like CIA agent or anything. I think honestly. I think him growing in popularity, I think that sort of emerged. I mean, it did or, or uh, like emerge on proprietary, like these proprietary platforms. But I think a lot of like the popularity and, and his like whole persona, I think a lot of that was just like sort of him, you know, developing these ideas. And I think so this idea of the matrix, I think he developed, like, I think he developed sort of as his own tool to like, you know, rope in disillusioned men. But I think he, but the, I think the reason why it mirrors like every single other state narrative so perfectly, I think is sort of what we talked about earlier is because, you know, Tate himself, I think, is also a product of government conditioning. So you can see a lot of popular figures that don't even have state connections that are developing these same like status narratives and so i think what happened was is that like once tate sort of started blowing up in the algorithm i think that was the perfect opportunity for the state to realize oh actually hey this is actually a perfect guy that like we can start promoting too and i think that's specifically how he got on tucker carlson's show that that was the moment when like you know we know that now he's in cahoots with the state whereas i think previously you know that's you know, I think their interests co-align, but I, I don't think Andrew Tate, like, blowing up in the algorithm is is a really, like, a consequence of, like, the state promoting it or these, like, you know, algorithms promoting it. I think it's just the consequence of a lot of, like, disillusioned young men, like Esso said, who, you know, are now finding this guy to be really appealing. Well, so you yeah. seem to know a lot about Andrew Tate blowing. Well, <laughs> well what I was going hey, to hey, say... I told you that in confidence. Well, the the reason what I was going to say is the reason why it's important to note that these algorithms are proprietary is because the weight because what that means is the weights that train them are fundamentally determined by the people that are running the particular site that is you know that that the algorithm is you know working for. Twitter's algorithm is proprietary. Facebook's algorithm is proprietary. Reddit's uh, any site that essentially has a search function, and it is officially document. It it's widely documented at this point in various uh, off the top um, 
I would I I could send you links after the streams over. I don't have them on hand, but there's various sources that have already shown that intelligence agencies essentially do dictate the policy uh, that these that Twitter in particular and Facebook use to cure for uh, curating the way that their algorithm feeds content to people. So it's not even controversial that the government does deliberately have these firms gamify proprietary algorithms so that they'll create essentially a propaganda model. Well, in the case of Twitter, it's more to do with just keeping people in a constant state of emotional compromise so that they're dehabituated out of critical thinking. But, um, yeah, it's, it is important to bring that up. It, it, it fundamentally has to make one call into question whether or not if the state considered a figure like Andrew Tate to be subversive, whether or not they even could blow up in the algorithm, because this also implies that at any point, if a trend were to start emerging that these sites didn't approve of, they could simply train the weights of the algorithm differently so that uh, it would stop recommending that to people. Yeah, so real quick. The Fox Sorry. said, uh, I can relate to working out and having self-respect for that. I agree with Tate. And I mean, me too. But uh, the thing is, we're kind of analyzing, you know, how this came to be in the first place. We're, we're discussing social movements here. I mean, like, uh, I agree with some of the things Tate says. I agree with, I mean, far more uh, the manosphere on intersexual dynamics than I do feminism. Uh, I, I don't like feminism, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a personal view on social takes. It, it, this is more so just like analyzing, you know, what's subversive to the state, what's not. Do I think Tate's subversive to the state? Honestly, no, because... Uh, the Fox brings up, but I've never heard his views on the state. Uh, Tate has this idea of the matrix, which we discussed even before the show, but now as well, uh, where you could compare it to the deep state. But even then on, on Tucker Carlson, Tate, if anything, compared it to the New World Order pretty much in the way he talked about it, saying there's like, a, well, he didn't say New World Order specifically, but he pretty much laid out what the New World Order is and what a lot of people talk about in there being a, a global conspiracy against the masses. Uh, and I mean, he's pretty much, uh, yeah, I, I do agree. We both agree feminism is cancer, <laughs> but uh, point being here that uh, Tate also brings up like his uh, dislike for the UK, for example. He's like, look at all these stabbings and crime that are happening. Uh, and even on Tucker Carlson, he's like, oh, well, you know, they just keep trying to add laws to it to fix it. And it's like, OK, well, a libertarian may say, oh, well, he's actually getting it now. But at the same time, no, because like he talks about how great something like, well, I think like the UAE or Dubai is. I mean, look at what they do to punish crime. So maybe he'd say, oh, well, if only the UK would just institute that there, maybe then we'd be all right. Or maybe if they just enforce the law and he's very like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's pro police just in the way he talks societally about what is normal and what well, isn't. And I mean, that's just probably a product of him being propagandized like everybody else. But he basically says like, oh, who comes at the end of the day to save you a cop? Like he'll give that example of something. So in, in general, I mean, Tate's kind of like, you know, he's he's got these views where he's like, oh, I don't like these states, but he's status still. Yeah, well, well, ultimately, his Remember, ignore the conclusion in a vacuum. Look at the means that were used to to make the case for yeah. their reasoning and see where that in and of itself leads by implication, regardless of where they claimed that it led. 
Yeah, ig ignore all of his policy prescriptions. Um, just focus on again the three the three things that I talked about earlier. If he's promoting the idea that, um, firstly, uh, the state isn't an, uh, the problem with the state isn't the state; it's an organization controlling it. That's his exact narrative with the Matrix. And um, I, I mean, I would secondly, argue with like his policy yeah. prescriptions. He's also arguing that. That's why I brought them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just um, like. I, I was just assuming that you were talking about like, oh, well, he, he holds these policy pres prescriptions, which means that he isn't a libertarian. X, well, y, the, Z. the reasoning yeah. behind even giving a policy prescription at all inherently assumes a political understanding of the nature of uh, society's right. relationship to the state it, as though policy is some as though policy is just something that the state in a vacuum can change overnight and there aren't a whole bunch of like we talked about in the, the last stream that we had there aren't a bunch of necessary functions the state needs to carry out to sustain itself which all presuppose that there's a bunch of uh, organizations in place that would even make that possible yeah, it, it assumes that discussing things in terms of policy assumes that the state is a representation of your interests, i.e. that through political means you can get the state to do what you want, you, you know, even as quote-unquote unlikely as a lot of people make it out to be. Like the, the, the idea that that's possible is something that's inherently assumed when you're talking about like what policy should the state pursue. Um, but it also assumes that like... Um, that again like the state the state isn't actually ideological or sorry is ideological that it's just um uh that that uh that it's just it's just these uh it's just these ideological actors with these uh with these agendas to get elected i think there's actually something important to bring up uh with the tucker carlson interview itself other than just what i've brought up already because in tucker's introductory monologue and these are pretty much just two quotes i'm going to bring up from there uh one of the things he says when he's about to introduce Tater, I think it might be right after, he talks about what it's like, uh, quote unquote, to be a boy becoming a man during the Biden years. So he specifically brings up, oh, look at how children are growing up during Joe Biden's presidency right now, like how they're not going to be able to become men because of the guy in office right now. And you can see, like, I mean, obviously, uh, if you couldn't figure it out already, Tucker is uh, as well, like just a literal agent of the state. But <laughs> um, also, he said, like, earlier generations of Western leaders might have found part of Tate's message inspiring. And with that quote, I just want to say that, you know, like, basically, he's coming up with the idea as well uh, that. Well, obviously, you know, this is how society is organized. There are just these leaders that hear these political messages and then that's how they decide to rule and that's how they decide to lead. Uh, I mean, it's it's literally just, I mean, Tucker's bringing up Paulus as well as something that he accepts. You're not going to hit puberty because Joe Biden's <laughs> president. He's got you on puberty blockers. <laughs> Well, the entire well, point of that show, like that interview, by the way, was was basically just to be a um to be the introduction for boomers to to see Tate because again they're not they're not watching like the actual reasons why he's like controversial or why he you know all of his you know shitty like his persona on on all these social media sites and you'll and you'll notice this because he acts completely like he does basically a one eighty personality shift yeah. in the interview. And you'll notice also um, that he like, uh, yeah, brought up it's well, nothing well, like one, yeah. this is important yeah. to that. This is important to that. He brings up that like the girls did TikTok videos, but he brings up nothing about the OnlyFans stuff. 
Well, also, I think it's kind of funny how, like, again, it's it it is just like a fluff piece for Tate. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like so obvious that it is. Even giving mostly, it's it's just the stuff that he leaves out. Um, like like one like again, they're not talking. They're uh basically he's basically the questions that he's asking him is um uh so uh you know so what's your message and then he lies about his message says that it's you know just about helping men vaguely or whatever um you know he's obviously like he's not going to challenge any of his takes on the um you know on you know literally hitting women or whatever (laughs) but like um something you're missing something here um first of all i'm not even going to go over that the the, the other claim right there i don't know everything about that but uh you you're ignoring when he got almost plowed through by the BBC, okay? <laughs> did you not see his BBC interview? Okay. Uh, I, I, like, I did, he, yeah. There was a woman that came into his house and he was like, basically like, she kept asking questions that, and then when he answered like something that didn't have to do with what she was saying. Well, actually, I, I think it was like, I, I forgot what it even was at this point. I think she was asking like, why did you hit the women? And he's like, I never hit women. Like, if you look at this, there's not even a credible claim of, of you're talking about this fake woman. And then she's like, why'd you hit women? Like, it's something like that along those lines. And basically that's to say, oh, well, look, isn't the mainstream media, isn't the corporate press against him? Isn't that something that we should be looking at? And Tucker Carlson's this anti-establishment guy that show he's coming on. Tucker's all different. He's not a part. He doesn't have any sort of contract with Fox News. He's just on Twitter, you know? Yeah, the uh, the the BB, being on the BBC is a is a product of the Matrix. But when I'm interviewed by have you ever Tucker thought about Carlson, being on the BBC? Um, you know, I've thought about it a lot. Believe it or not, <laughs> being on quite a few. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, it it is kind of amazing that that's just um, that that's that's sort of the narrative that he's been promoting. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the Fox says microplastics and single-use plastic production plur- proliferation, estrogen mimicking chemicals. No, I mean, yeah, like I actually, this was a discussion I had with Ancat the other day about the industrial revolution, like that meme where it's like the industrial revolution and then it's like there are pl- there's plastic in my blood. Like literally, like we talked about how um, this manner in which the state is producing and the way in which, you know, I mean, obviously all of this is happening is more so causing, you know, these negative effects on people as opposed to if it were just done without this, uh, you know, so much statism. I mean, any statism, really. The the way the Industrial Revolution emerged uh, be- because of the, because of the state's um because of the state's pro- uh, decreed property norms and artificial um, planning of the economy and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. Yes, like, yeah. like a lot, like a lot of people, like a lot of people think that, like, oh, well, you're anti-industrial revolution. Well, you just want to return to monkey. Well, no, like the actual critique, or at least the libertarian one, is well, specifically, I, I believe, so part of the one Alul made. I, I want to let you get in on that because you you could probably explain it better than I could. Well, it's in the way that the state started defending political property norms. What happened is it made, um, and the way that the state controlled how uh, credit was lended, it led to certain techniques in relation to certain studies being furthered and essentially being able to be dictated by the state because certain techniques being furthered in how thing, uh, certain equipment could be designed or how certain uh, organization models were presumed to be present around certain equipment. 
or you know vice versa this was all coordinated around you know what was possible to get investment for and this is something that was planned by the state and what ended up happening is like if you look at the the first design of a steam engine that was actually used for the purposes of fueling a production model like you you would act it would actually piss you off if you saw it like it's it's it, it's smaller it's about the size of a modern toaster it it's there is in no way a large organizational production method implied by this tool existing and yet you see uh, what is essentially the exact same thing by the end of the century that it was developed scaled upwards to the point to the point where in order to even legally build one because of all of the components that were required to uh, actually make the machine that it was like the only machine that was possible to get funding for or was possible to develop without the state harassing you for trying to build one. Uh, you needed an entire factory with an entire organization model planned around it in order to sustain it. The state so, co-opting the state co-opting the norms that emerged following the industrial revolution has been a consequence for the human race. That's a, but that's that's a more accurate way of characterizing what happened. The state, yeah. uh, the state trying to defend to exclusively claim all land and defend land claims as uh, by title has resulted in a resulted in a situation where the state controlled who could access new resources directly by fiat and therefore the state had leverage over every single component necessary in production processes which meant that the state even outside of just what it, like the state could effectively could control what even counts as productivity or what counts as efficiency because the state yeah. could control what was even possible as far as the way that machines could be designed around their political economy. And that's what resulted in, uh, you know, that's what resulted in some of the more grim aspects of the industrial revolution. When really, if you look again, if you look at the original designs of the early machines that, you know, are considered to be associated with the start of the industrial revolution there is absolutely no reason that independent that people running independent shops couldn't have just used these to start streamlining their production processes other than the fact that if people did start doing that it would be subversive to the state yeah and uh and um Ted Kaczynski just read that and read Alul's explanation of this in Technological Society, like the same way that Rothbard did as just return to monkey. You want to return to monkey? We have to return to monkey. It's, 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 it's technology that's the problem inherently. Well, it is called the Technological Society. What other conclusion could you reach? Dude, his conclusion was that we live in a society and it's technological. <laughs> <laughs> that was what Kaczynski that is true. and Rothbard thought about the book. 
<laughs> Even though the uh, very first section of the Technological Society is Elul stating explicitly the difference between Doug, the difference between his characterization of what he calls technique and the concept of technology generally. So the Fox says that picture you're using SO as the demon sphere early in Richmond. Didn't a lot of people die a few times from being irradiated by that? Yeah, and that's why I love this picture. Because so the uh, because the Fox there uh, implies that uh, it's about to get taken out of his hand uh, his hand, and that's the only thing uh, that's the only thing stopping it from going critical. <laughs> Uh, JC says, did the design of those early machines go through the patent office and therefore got the inventor Nikola Tesla? A lot of them did, but the steam engine was, um, like you can look at the original blueprints for it. I'm not sure if it was suppressed by the patent office. I know that there were original, like early models built, but, um, yeah, like when you, when people think of the steam engine, they think of essentially like a giant, they think of a giant uh, 19th century gilded era factory, or they think of an entire room of a train dedicated to fueling one. No, uh, in the, the first steam engine was seriously just like a little device that was about the size of like your average toaster today could fit on a table and was capable of power it was capable of uh powering entire production lines but Wait, now it wasn't you build a car that runs on water you'll get shot <laughs> what were you gonna say Ancat? Uh, sorry, hang on for a second. You guys can continue. I'll be listening. Okay. But yeah, I mean, so there were the car, there were models of car originally designed as far back as the late 18th century. They just were suppressed by the patent office. Yeah. Uh, the Fox says Oppenheimer was working on that stuff early when the men or when doing the Manhattan Project. Uh, and then uh, I was about to say Epstein. Einstein was a fucking huckster <laughs> uh, who wasn't ashamed to label someone anti-Semite to steal their body of work and claim it was his. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about that. I just think that it's absurd that during the Manhattan Project, they were in order to try to prevent a reactor from going critical. They were upholding the uh, lead shielding with a fucking screwdriver. <laughs> Why don't people say Einstein? You know, like Epstein? Why not Einstein? Why Or why not Epstein? I think I think it's different, because I know I know so you pronounce him Wicken, Wittgenstein, but I think I, I, I've German. heard, like, Roderick Long and other people pronounce it, like, Wittgenstein. So I don't know what, I don't know what the correct pronunciation is, but... I mean, I don't think it, like, matters, but... <laughs> It does now because of Epstein. <laughs> yeah, um, now and now it matters. Okay, Jeffrey Epstein. So I, I wanted to actually. I, I thought this may uh, tie into some of the stuff we were talking about before, uh, but I, I oh guess yeah, I, wait, I wait, okay, I remember. Like, sorry, just just one more thing. I I remember sure. what I wanted to say. Um, the uh, someone should do like a uh, uh, shelved patent office iceberg. 
I would love to watch one of those. I like, like just do some do some deep lore, like see what inventions have been invented that could have been. I, I've I've toyed with the idea myself, but I would need to do a lot more uh, venturing into that particular area. Yeah, but yeah, sorry. Says, I went down the Go rabbit ahead. hole. Yeah, I went down the rabbit hole on Einstein. Uh, he was brilliant, but he also worked in the patent office and was privy to information he could and did use to mat his material benefit. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he did. But uh, now I wanted to bring up a different topic. And actually, I, I do know how I was going to tie it back in now. So thank you for giving me a moment to stall and think about that. Uh, so here we go. I'm about to put it up here on the stream because StreamYard does not like me doing this for some reason. Uh, okay. Let's see. You see it? I don't know. Just says at the stream. Hold on. We're waiting. A yeah. I'm okay. It. There we go. Italy erases the name of gay mothers from their children's births. You see it? Yep. I was reading off the headline here. <laughs> Italy yeah. erases the name of gay mothers from their children's. Italy erases the name of gay mothers from their <laughs> children's birth certificates in heartbreaking crackdown against same-sex parents and surrogacy led by its ultra-conservative woman PM. Woman PM. More like PMS, <laughs> am I right? It reads yeah, like I, uh, I was just about to make that joke. <laughs> been studying yeah, uh been studying North Korean propaganda quite prominently uh as of late, and this really like not exactly in terms not not in terms of the subjects being presented, but like the phrasing and yeah. how like practically every like every new phrase has to have some invoking of an ideologically loaded or politically loaded concept into it. It it reads a lot like a North Korean propaganda website. And you know, I was trying to find yeah, this article you... before. I was Italy erases the name of gay mothers. I looked up uh you know Italy lesbian mothers and I you know it, it was hard to not be suggested nefarious links. So, I mean, there's that for uh, propaganda, right? U.S. city of Berkeley explodes in holocaust of flame over, over the antics of homosexuals. <laughs> North, North Korean <laughs> propaganda headline. Yeah, I was going to say, like, once you get really good at, like, deconstructing uh, propaganda narratives, you should be able to peel, like, seven or eight layers of subtext, like, from it, from just, like, a headline or just a, a cut, like, a paragraph or two. Yeah, yeah, that's why I brought it up. Media. And what I actually wanted to take from this uh, was because I've talked about this on the show before, and this was like back on uh, when I actually myself accepted like, oh, you know, politicians are actually these ideological actors that come in the state and change things based on, you know, when they're elected and all, you know, I believe the NPC framework of it. But uh, basically speaking, like her views on immigration uh, were something that was discussed when she was first elected. Uh, and basically like, you know, Georgia Maloney, who's the PM in question, uh, the woman PM, I should say, uh, is basically the same one that's like supposedly like, you know, the, the article says Prime Minister Georgia Maloney's coalition disproves or disapproves of LGBT plus couples raising their children together. Uh, so, you know, basically we're, we're looking at this and, and it's, essentially this propaganda article that gets you to think, Hey, like this, this is happening because people voted in this fascist leader. Um, yeah, but basically it's just the state's interest. I'm actually wondering now, like now what the that, reason for the state to do this would be. Now that being gay is illegal, gay people have to go down to the cemeteries, dig up fresh bodies in order to make new gay people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, like what? Like it's trying to promote the culture war there or something? Like, you know, what's what's the reason behind this? Probably it's all gay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Italy has its own, uh, Italy has its own series of problems, and one of them is a, a sort of like the U.S. has it has its own instance of a shrinking market problem in the labor market. Mm, it wouldn't yeah, su- okay. it wouldn't surprise me if this trend starts following elsewhere, particularly in uh, European or North American states, um, where. Like marriage starts being defined as something that uh, only hetero couples could have because only hetero couples could have children. So, so wait, why why is the state promoting uh, increased birth rates again? Because there aren't as many people uh, having kids, which means in the future there aren't going to be as many laborers in the white market. Why not just uh, oh, because, uh, restrictions on immigration? Like, why would it be that uh, this prime minister is also somebody that's like touting this these immigration restrictions? And supposedly that might be just what Italy wants now. I mean, could be both. I mean, I, yeah. don't, I mean, it, it depends, honestly. It could it could be um like just cost. I mean, hmm. Well, it's also that um, when you're dealing with people that are mi- that are migrating from other parts of the world, there's also um, like lending practices and the, the way that the welfare state uh, treats them is different as a demographic. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. Let's catch up on chats real quick. Let's see. So we got, uh, oh boy, the Tradcons are an eventful rise in Italy. Uh, so getting closer to like similar to like Hungary. Okay. Uh, we pretty much dispelled why that's not the case. I, I guess, you know, that, you know, I don't know. Anyway, Italian lesbian mothers. Yeah. You put that into a search bar and see what you find. I I did. And I, I'll tell you what I found. It was, you know, they were making love. Uh, it was great. <laughs> I didn't watch the links. Maybe you want some of those. But, you know, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. maybe that PM... Maybe I'm that sorry. PM needs to see more of a of Tifa getting railed in the middle of political meetings. <laughs> no. Tifa? Now that being black, now that being black is back to being illegal, we're gonna have to go down to the cemeteries, dig up fresh bones <laughs> in order to make new <laughs> black people. <laughs> Do not bring up TND. Okay. <laughs> one point one birth rate. TND. <laughs> uh, is that uh, yeah is that italy or i bet you fap to it i did not i did not do that don't do that you you should you know for I you saying femi- hold on for you saying feminism is cancer and that uh you know people self-improvement's good you should not be fapping to that if you are uh let's see not even replacement levels and there is already an aging workforce problem okay yeah uh not enough factory meat to go around basically okay. <laughs> Yeah, I see. Okay. Well, we've caught up on chat. Uh, I actually wanted to ask about the culture war in general, because, I mean, that's part of this issue, I'd assume. Well, I mean, at least that's what the state uses to say, like, it needs to do these certain things or take these certain actions or or say, like, oh, look at this person taking these actions. Like, for instance, the Supreme Court would be uh, an instance of this where they're, like, uh, overturning the 
whatever case, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade to uh, like restrict abortion. So therefore, like, oh, it's because they're conservative, right, that they're doing this. And look at the right. They're going to the extreme or whatever. We've been addressing this the whole entire time. Uh, but and if anything, we've we've talked about how the state, you know, tries to make it seem like there's two opposing groups. So, I mean, like, what would you define the culture war as really? Um, well, I'm on the side of, I'm on, I'm a part of the culture war on the side against culture. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, as just, a, it's just retarded. As a, con- as a concept with a normative foundation, I would be against characterizing that way. doesn't even really make sense to say that you, you are or aren't against culture it's just it's just kind of something that emerges uh once norms are established it's a sociological phenomenon it has the same problems with like black people and race you know like uh like 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 uh racial uh like eugenics you know well Um. yeah it leads to a lot of the same issues when trying to care when trying to uh, characterize it as a foundation for norms and one that's politically determined because uh, yeah, that, that leads to like a lot of the pushback that uh, you, you see from politicized people and their first go, like the thing that keeps them invested is this assumption that um is this assumption that the reason that norms are being expressed the way they are is because culture exists in a vacuum and that's the reason that that's what's actually the basis for uh characterizing organization models as they emerge or um available technique it's not uh you know, it's it has nothing to do with access to resources or threats in their environment. No, it's just something that exists outside of uh, agency or outside of the ability to act that somehow contextualizes it. So I was wondering if you guys had some readings you could suggest on like sociology or uh, anything that would probably go more into depth of depth about uh, polis from an angle that isn't just some status narrative. Um, I don't know. Well, I have quite a few, but I, they're on my website, so oh, I can link that in the chat. <laughs> yeah. Plug it now. Just say it. Um, well, I I'm just gonna link it. well, and yeah. to come to the conclusions that I did, I've, I've already established, I've, I don't know if on stream that I have, but in case I, ha- in case I haven't, or in case I didn't in the last stream, I would say that the main three influences that uh, I, that um, have like steered me towards the conclusion that I came to that actually directly frame their concepts at the, like their claims as um, claims about the nature of concepts in the study of societies would be um, w- would be Konkin's work on Agoras class theory. Um, which is a, a collection of essays, but not exactly one central book, but Agor- the Agorist Primer or um, Counter Economics from the Back Alleys to the Stars would be some good places to find some of these essays. Um, 
Jacques Ellul, specifically the concept of technique as demonstrated in the technological society and power relations as described by Michel Foucault. Okay. Uh, the Fox says socialism and economic and social, uh, sociological analysis by Mises. Well, honestly, if you want like the most sophisticated analysis of, of economies from like the Austrian perspective, I'd say that it's Lachman. Uh, Ludwig Lachman is probably okay. where you'd want to look because uh, there's some interesting critiques that he presents that follow um, from the way that Austrians characterize action that kind of pokes holes in a lot of uh, a lot of things that are taken for granted in like by other Austrians, like the assumption that general uh, general supply and demand can exist, for example. All right. Well, well, if value is subjective, how is that the case? And Kat, you're going to have to plug the site some other way because it doesn't show up in the chat when you post a link. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Links um, don't post in the YouTube chat. But I was going to wonder, um, uh, well, I was going to ask if uh, you guys had any sort of closing thoughts for now because it we're getting on two hours. It's, I mean, but it has been great. Uh, I do want to, let me mention first that I do want to talk about uh, neo-reactionary, uh, like the way it intersects, you know, with uh, this whole like, libertarian uh paleo movement and all that it, more in the future and I, I hope we can have some more discussions on that i think it's actually a really interesting topic oh to talk yeah about. for sure yeah I'm, I'm really glad that uh wasn't this stream because yeah i'm gonna need to be awake for that one <laughs> well yeah we got more into uh like the red pill and all that uh you know like talking more about it i actually thought we had some really like thought-provoking stuff today which i really enjoy but yeah. uh sure so if you had any closing thoughts other than that you can go ahead um not necessarily to be perfectly honest right. how about you Ankat? uh yeah it kind of sucks that i can't that people can't access the library can they just uh highlight the link and then click it and then drag it into like a tab or whatever uh i'd say just name the website now and then i can put it in the description later or okay just, yeah, yeah well it's just it's just time. it's just yeah it, it's just what i uh um, it's just called Into the Agora 01. It's like a Wix or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll think just linking it in the description might be better. All right. Yeah. Um, also, uh, plug for Esso's work because I think like I was going to give him time. Huh? I was going to give him time to plug afterward. No, no, I was just going to say, like, as far as, like, expansions on, like, Alul and Agora's oh, okay, class yeah. theory, I think have come, like, from. Uh, some of Esso's work, so I I I I made a I made a cons a more concise document of that thing that you wrote back in 2021 the uh, the dialectic of the state because because you go in because you go into uh, like uh, expanding upon like Agoras class theory or just Agoras work in general and I think it's pretty important so yeah there was and I I, I could write even more about it uh, since. But that was, uh, I, I'd still say that that was a pretty good, I mean, I just established all of it on a single graph. But yeah, it's, uh, it goes more into detail and specifically why I characterize certain concepts as I do. Um, so it's a, it would be a pretty decent read. But yeah, when I come back to making essays, I'm definitely going to be expanding on this quite a bit. Yeah, so if you go to the website that uh, 
that Ahmed's going to link. You'll you'll see it in like the basics category where I kind of you you'll see it you you'll see the um like the the one that I you'll see that writing that Essa is referring to. It's it's pretty good because I think it's a lot more like I think I'd I'd personally read that first because I think that like establishes I think the like the most important heart of agorism fundamentally that like I think you're not really gonna get out of reading Konkin, even though like like definitely read Konkin for sure. But like and anything else you want to play? Like, I think well, yeah, I was, I was yeah. Go ahead, Essa. I was just going to say that uh, yeah, that pr there is still a uh, video that's almost done that's gonna be on the back alley pretty soon. Here, it's just it was pl I was planning on having it up by the end of June, but uh, yeah, I mean uh, things didn't really work out as intended, and it's. Uh, it, it, there, there's sort of a lot of factors at play, and some of some of them touch upon things that I d don't really feel comfortable talking about on stream. But uh, yeah, it's almost done, so it's not going to take too much longer. I was going to give you time to plug. You're just too excited to shove that plug in, aren't you? <laughs> well, you said <laughs> you said you were going to give me time to plug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get if you get to know Esso, he's a, he, was, he was going already on it. He, he's if you, if you get to know Esso, he's a big fan of shoving and plugs. So yeah, well, uh, the fact <laughs> is, I wish he would do more response videos to the View because it is just a shit posting fest. Who who oh will do more God, responses to the View? Did, rather... you, did you respond to the View? Uh, I think I made a video back in like 2017 when I was making like ANCAP commentary content, and Logic. I would I would rather. Oh my god, I would rather shoot my hand against the wall with a nail gun than watch the video. <laughs> I'll go watch it for you. <laughs> yeah, the um I admit I haven't watched it in a long time, but I know exactly what he's talking about. And yeah, it was I think like yeah, 20, 2018, I'm pretty sure. And yeah, he did a response to, to the views. And I don't remember that, but yeah, I remember watching that. That was funny, but I don't know why anybody how how anybody can sit there and watch content like that other than being so doped up on opioids they don't know what's going on yeah or, or oprah. What was your, uh... like, shows like shows like oprah or ellen so the fox liked it he anyway. said it was top kick last time he did it uh and cat you had your video essay that you were doing uh if you wanted to talk a little bit more about the progress and then anything else you wanted to plug and then we'll wrap up uh yes yeah, so the uh the progress on the video essay is um basically i i i've realized that a lot of it has required me to go into a bit more research than, than i would have anticipated so i've been looking into um specifically for the parts of it oh yeah i should probably mention what it is if you if no one knows at the, at the moment i'm writing a uh concise it, it's basically a book at this point but it's a um it's a concise uh, video essay timeline of the history of the libertarian movement, um, and How that includes. How long includes... is it, <laughs> dude? It's 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 insanely long. <laughs> I mean, longer than you'd expect coming from me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, essentially, it's going to go into. Basically, it's going to go into the history of left libertarianism, how libertarianism originated, um, the history of Marxism and the first international socialism, communism, capitalism, a lot of these buzzwords that emerged. Um, basically, going, it's going to be a concise timeline going up to the present day. 
and I want the video to serve uh, firstly as an important, like just an interesting piece of, you know, information just for people who are sort of interested in it and want to learn more about that subject. But also I want to use it as a framing device. So because I think the problem right now in a lot of the libertarian spheres that I've been a part of, whether that be um, a lot of the ANCAP circles or a lot of the more lefty anarchists that I've been a part of, um, a, a lot of their disagreements mainly come down to semantics and not really understanding the full in-depth history of the and the scope of the movement specifically. And I think if they you know, were to have this concise uh, view, they'd be a lot less narrow-minded in their thinking of, like, rejecting certain ideas. Um, and what I want to show is that the, that the movement of libertarianism has been uh, essentially a concise, like, evolvement from one to the other. Um, so, so, like, a good example would be, like, uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of like ancoms tend to think that like, oh well, anarcho-capitalism and like fucking Rothbard's work that was just a totally detached thing. It was just this subversion by the Cato Institute, um, you know. But actually, you know, if you, you know, reduce your, uh, you know, uh, I'm against capitalism lenses, and you actually read some of his work, um, no, actually, you know, despite his obvious flaws, I, you know, I think he actually contributed quite a bit of work. And if you got rid of those, you know, capitalist goggles that are preventing you from, you know, basically from like throwing out important contributions to libertarianism, you know, maybe you'd have a more expansive, like understanding of the state. And so I want to, I want to basically, um, I guess to sort of sum it up, I think that a lot of libertarians in the movement are sort of stuck in their own, I guess, community bubble, and they have a very narrow understanding of of their own movement, and I want to expand that and give them a concise view so that any, like, content that they see um, or any, like, content they view further, they're going to have, like, a lot of context for um, why things are currently the way they are. Yeah, that summary is about as long as the essay. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a doozy. But I, well, and I'm also gonna be doing what also required me to have a lot of research too was delving into more like the more modern like YouTube sphere, like the uh, the uh, libertarian YouTube sphere also. But I'll need to do more research into that as well. So it, we it's it's see. gonna be like yeah, so it's gonna be from like the late 1700s to today basically all right well uh anything else yes yeah, yeah sorry, sorry for the insanely long plug by the way <laughs> no i'm looking i'm looking forward to it and uh i don't really have anything else to add uh, other than the you know the, the video that we're putting out could could easily turn out as long as the hoppa essay at this point so yeah. All right. Well, I gave you both your time uh, to speak your piece. On what you got. Uh, everybody make sure to check them out. Uh, you know, Back Alley Philosophy and Into the Agora. They actually, I mean, uh, Into the Agora has not made as much content, but they do both have uh, good content on there. Well, you know, NCAP Twitter is a good video, but there is soon to be good content as well. on if, Into the Agora. Yeah, if, if you... 
if you subscribe and just you know click the notification bell, like you'll 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 get content. So no. I mean, make sure to also like this stream, comment, uh, and click my bell <laughs> so you can know when these guys are back on the stream. <laughs> it has been good. It has been a great two hours. Honestly, uh, enjoyed being with all of you guys. Thank you for everybody who showed up to the stream. Just remember again, I'm Emily.com. Follow me at, at Civil Offense on all social media. Pretty much, uh, I, I honestly it's probably just Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever. Uh, Prax. James, hello. Uh, you're you're like so late, but thank you for showing up right at the end. Uh, make sure you rewind that stream and watch the whole thing. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Remember that civil offense is the key to winning. Thank you.